Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian. I'm on the phone with my good friend Ashvin. And we have a third dude here with us today, uh, appropriately named Jason. Jason is from the Adventures in Pod Taste podcast. Uh, Jason, you want to say hello and tell us a little bit about your show? Sure. Uh, unlike uh, you guys who are running from the term nerd, uh, I've long since embraced that uh, distinction. Uh, Adventures in Poor Taste is the name of a website that you should totally check out, adventuresinpoortaste.com or aiptcomics.com if you're into the brevity thing. Uh, and it's basically your one-stop shop for comic reviews, gaming, movies, uh, basically everything that would get your ass kicked in an 80s teen movie is now suddenly cool, so we're trying to leech off of that and hopefully get some of that awesome clickbait money. Um, so, yeah, check us out. Uh, Adventures in Pod Taste is the podcast that I co-host with my, uh, with, let's call him the, uh, the Sundance Kid to my Butch Cassidy, uh, Dave Hildebrand, uh, who brings the southern charm, and I bring the over-talkative nerdery. Um, yeah, so that's a little bit about me. Also, I love uh, tonight's topic, uh, but I'll, I suppose we'll get more into that as we go along. Yeah, sure. So that's part of the reason why we brought Jason in, because he has a passion for the Friday the 13th franchise, which today we're talking about the original Friday the 13th from 1980, directed by Sean Cunningham, written by Victor Miller, starring Betsy Comp. Betsy Palmer, Adrian King, and Kevin Bacon. Uh, so that's why Jason is appropriately named for this one. And just a warning, I th- feel like we'll probably get into spoilers for this one pretty soon instead of normally we wait a little while, but I, mean, I have the a feeling arguments start flooring. It's been 38 years, you know. People probably should know at this point what happens in this movie. But see... I, I actually get upset when people think that way because, you know, there's kids out there who don't necessarily know the entire history. Yeah, I was... shouldn't be watching Friday the 13th. <laughs> they they should have... That should have been what their parents did right away. I, I was a little disappointed because I, I feel like this was spoiled by the movie Scream. Do you guys remember that one? Yes. And, and, yeah, I, I definitely saw Scream <laughs> before this movie, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and That movie also came out like 15, 16 years after... Uh, the Friday the Thirteenth. You can't blame that for spoiling this movie for you either. That's like but, saying like Titanic had a spoiler because I was in a history class in fourth grade. <laughs> <laughs> no man, you didn't know what Leonardo DiCaprio was going to do. You know, like who knew he was going to let go of that uh, doorway and, and fall into the man, water? We had a very different fourth grade class than I did. We learned all about Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, but still, for for Scream, I, I thought, like, one of the biggest, most interesting parts about this movie would be that twist, and going into it, kind of knowing it because of Scream, uh, really took a lot of, of it away from me. I, I don't know, Brian, did you feel that way? Yeah, it does take a lot away, and I, I hear your argument, Jason, but you got to start somewhere with horror movies. You can't necessarily go chronologically, so if there's a 12-year-old listening to this podcast, I don't want to ruin it for him. <laughs> sure. And I mean, I saw uh, Friday the 13th well before I saw Scream, because uh, the USA Network, every Friday the 13th used to do like a mini marathon of all the movies that they were allowed to show. Oh, yeah. And so I had seen like the first four. Uh, sometimes they didn't even have the rights to all of them, and it would be like one, and then three, and then seven. Um, but like, I saw a ton of them growing up, because every Friday the 13th, and it was, it was a guy named Jason. He was the most famous Jason that I knew. So I was like, yeah, totally. Yeah, total bias there, for sure. Were you? Yeah, total it bias. makes total sense for you to see this yeah. before Scream. I know, especially being named after him and everything. Yeah, unless your name yeah. was Ghostface. 
Yeah, my parents actually specifically named me Jason Voorhees, but they thought that was too long, so they just, you know, it's just Jason now. <laughs> no. I don't think that my um, parents if, have actually seen a horror movie now that I think about it, so. I, I love hearing stories about my parents when they, like, saw The Shining in the theater. They were, like, terrified. I feel like that was probably the only horror movie they ever saw again. Yeah, an Oscar winner. <laughs> what a what a jump out of the comfort zone. Um, yeah, I mean that movie. That you know, while you're talking about movies where you feel like biased because you saw it at a different stage in life, that's a movie that I saw well into my horror movie fandom, and so it did seem a little tame, uh, in my opinion. And I'm sure it was absolutely terrifying when you first saw it. And there's a lot of cool lore and history in that movie, but. Um, Personally, I don't think that I like Friday the 13th because it's scary. I, I, I just find it a fun experience as a movie. I find that that's what you kind of have to get into with slasher movies. Ashwin and I were talking a little bit about this uh, before this all happened, where slasher movies are basically all the same thing. You know, guy go, uh, kids go somewhere where parents aren't, get murdered one by one. Um, and so you have to kind of find the fun in the formula. And... This is kind of where a lot of that started because it it's definitely a movie that doesn't take itself as seriously as like Halloween did, but the first two, arguably the first three, but mostly the first two movies, are the more serious stabs at being scary or being suspenseful. Whereas, like obviously, if you started with like Jason in space, uh, Jason X, you're you know that you're already in schlock territory. Like, there's no need to even have the pretense of it being scary at that point. Yeah, it's so interesting to me, these franchises that start out serious and then just get kind of loopy or make fun of themselves as they go. And I think if you're going to make 12 movies, you kind of have no choice but to do that. Mm-hmm. It would just be torturing people. Yeah, to, to um, keep it fresh. Yeah. Yeah. This franchise is just so interesting to me for a lot of reasons, namely because Jason, and here's the big spoiler, if you're 11 years old, turn this off now, but Jason isn't the killer in the first one, which is funny because it feels like a twist ending, but when this was released, it wouldn't have been a twist, it just would have been the reveal. Yeah, because this wasn't supposed to be a franchise, right? It was just supposed to be a one-off film, I think. Right. I mean, I don't think anything is supposed to be a franchise. Well, I well guess no, nowadays, there, the there was that, that Mummy movie that was supposed to kickstart the whole dark universe, and it just failed historically, and so we're not going to get mm. those movies. But, but uh, yeah, yeah this one like was obviously not supposed to be something, because pretty much everybody except for the central protagonist, and this, I guess, is another spoiler, dies. Um, your your main villain died, and it's a, you know, it's a horror movie, you, you follow that for the villain. Um Mm-hmm. What I think is interesting about the series as a whole, though, uh, is that it's really a series of stages. So, like, yeah, the first one, Jason, is really only kind of in it in a dream sequence. Um, and then in the second through the fourth one, Jason is just basically, like, a hulking dude living in the woods who just wants to murder everything that's around him. Then, at the end of the fourth one, spoiler alert, um, of all people... Corey Feldman murders Jason. Like, he's like, this was just before he did Goonies too. so this is like 10-year-old Corey Feldman hacking up uh, a big, hulking, like, 6'8", 300-pound dude um, with a machete. And then the next movie, a Jason appears, 
but spoilers again, and I don't know if, if I'm given too many spoilers, let me know, but <laughs> I, I've seen these movies a billion times at this point, so they all kind of run together to me. Uh, but then it's not actually Jason, it's fake Jason. It's a guy who's pretending to be Jason to kind of like scare people, sort of Scooby-Doo-ish, except that he actually is murdering people. Um, and then after that, Jason's a zombie. He's, he's just brought back from the dead, and it doesn't make any sense past that. Once, J- once you get to the zombie Jason years, which I think is a lot of people's favorite, um, that's when it's pure schlock, and there's no attempt to be scary or like poignant or anything like that. It's just, you know, slash, slash, boobs, slash. That's kind of it. And that's the point when he becomes, like, an invincible, invulnerable superhero, essentially, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in... Um, in the second and the third, and to some extent the fourth, he's much more human, sort of like um, his mom, Pamela Voorhees, the killer in the first movie. You see him struggle. You see him get hit and like actually like take damage. Um, like in the second movie, he gets like slashed in the thigh and starts to limp for a couple of minutes before the actor is told, "Don't forget it, just fucking run." Um, and I guess that's the other thing. In the first few movies, he runs. Uh, and that's a big distinction because in the later he's he's just when he's Kane Hodder and he's just fucking Diesel and he looks like Bam Bam Bigelow in a hockey mask he's just like kind of trudges everywhere he goes and somehow just appears next to everybody it's kind of cool because there's um, the Friday the 13th video game that came out a few years ago uh, is such like a treat to super fans of the, of the movie and the series in general and they kind of explain the way that it works is that he's got basically teleportation powers, but it's line of sight teleportation. And that's how he can slowly walk toward you, but still end up like next to you and like strangling you when you're, you know, a sexy teenager running through the woods. Oh, like um, that uh, blue guy from X-Men? Sort of like <laughs> Nightcrawler. He doesn't yeah. pop up in a, in a puff of smoke. Uh, he's, not a, he's also not a demon. Although arguably, in Jason Goes to Hell, he was a demon. Um... But oh, yeah. that's that's not the point of this, of this podcast. Sorry, I feel like I'm monopolizing the time. I, I get very excited about this topic. <laughs> so actually, I would love to pick your brain about that. Like, so this Jason, Michael Myers, and Freddy Krueger are kind of like the big three of the slasher franchises of the '80s, and for some reason, I would think this is a personal opinion. And I'm sure we'll get even more into this. I think that the first Halloween and the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie are vastly superior to the first Friday the 13th, but Jason has become a cultural icon that seems to have surpassed each of those. Like, if I say Jason, you know who I'm talking about, but you don't if I say Michael or Freddy. Well, Michael's so, like, a why... common name. Right. Jason. But I mean, Jason is not, like, yeah. super obscure sure. either. I would argue so, that people like, would know Freddy if you say Freddy. But so yeah, I guess maybe the first question is: Do you think that Jason is the most popular of the three? I would say yes. Um, I think that he's more mythologized, and it kind of makes sense when you think about it. He's had more movies. He's got twelve, including the remake, and then a ton of fan films and a whole video game series. Freddy, I believe there are five of the core series: Nightmare on Elm Street. And then there was New Nightmare. And then there was the remake, so he doesn't even has, have as many... Like, Jason went to space past that. Um, and Halloween... Like, Michael Myers isn't even in the third one. Like, it's it's about fucking masks. Um, that, that movie series... That movie series really fell off a cliff. I'll argue, if we're talking about pure cinematic, I guess, merit, the first Halloween is the best of all of them, of all of these movies that we're 
talking about, be it the Nightmare right. on the Street or the Friday the Thirteenth, it, it's got the most craft. Uh, you can't say enough about the music, um, which is obviously its own iconic thing. Like people might not know Michael when you say it, but when you play that, they they know exactly where it's going, and they know sure. that that it's really evocative. Um, I would say the weakest of the series is unquestionably Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, the first one is the best of that series. I disagree when you say that you think that it's better than Friday the 13th because it's just, if the acting is worse, the gimmick is worse, the effects are worse. And that's something that, I, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll let you talk in just a second. I, uh, I, I talk over people a lot sometimes. Uh, but the special effects are basically their own character in the Friday the 13th movies. And I think that that's what separated it. It's pure gore. In the first movie, you've got Tom Savini doing it, and he comes back for a couple of the sequels, but, like, the kills are their own events. Um, they kind of tried to do that a little bit in Freddy, in Nightmare on Elm Street, but Freddy kind of became a joke. Like, it was more about finding a way for him to say a pun than it was, like, an inventive kill. Uh, and in the original Halloween, there's zero blood. Like, Jason, or Michael kills a bunch of people, but he... There's no blood, there's no gore. Uh, that doesn't come in until the later, much worse sequels. Yeah, but wouldn't you say, like, those two are probably scarier than this one? I mean, yeah, maybe uh, the, the the villain isn't, like, as uh, effective or anything, but I feel like the way they're shot or produced makes it a little more scary than uh, just Jason Rogers' like a straight-up slasher film. Well, let me ask you this. Have you, have you ever uh, been to, like, a sleepaway camp? Have you ever spent a summer at a, at a summer camp? Uh, yeah, once for a week. Okay. Uh, I feel like if, if that's a communal experience that we all have, it speaks more to... Maybe that lessens it a little bit because it's a situation you're not frequently in. Sure. I think with Nightmare on Elm Street, you, you sleep every night. Uh, sometimes sleep during the day. Um, it's a much more common thought that, yeah, you know, Freddy could pop up and kill me and what am I going to do? Yeah. But I'm again, afraid. they made him into a joke. And, like, all of his, uh, like, the, the special effects in that first movie are really silly. Um, like, the most evocative scene that people remember, the, old, the, the one true scary scene in that movie is when that girl is getting, like, torn to shreds, uh, and her boyfriend's just, like, watching it happen as she, like, climbs into the ceiling and gets all sliced up. But then you got shit like Johnny Depp getting eaten by his bed and vomiting blood everywhere that just looks silly. Yeah. yeah, it did look silly. That movie is definitely like goofier, but something about it scared me more than Friday the Thirteenth. I think that Friday the Thirteenth didn't do a very good job of building up the suspense for these kills. I don't know what you guys think about that. Oh, I I don't agree. Oh, some of them, some of them, sure. Um, what's his name? Not Bill. Uh, the nerdy guy, Ned. Um, his death was off screen and kind of silly, and like it felt that didn't really add anything to it. That was more for setting the scene for uh, Kevin Bacon's eventual death. Um, but I thought the, the Kevin Bacon scene particularly was really strong. Um, I liked the way that uh, the Annie sequence, she's the girl who shows up at the beginning to, uh, she's the cook. Yeah. And like she gets killed on the side of the road before any anyone else actually gets to the camp. Um, I thought that was really good. Uh, I liked the personality that was shown by the other girl. Um, what's her name? Marcy, the, the the booby girl, the one who's there dating uh, Kevin Bacon. Um, 
she's she's a much more fun and believable real person, I think, than uh, anybody in the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Uh, and with the possible exception of Laurie Strode, anybody in the first uh, Halloween movie. Um, that's I guess that's it. Like I, I like the characters that are in it, even if they're pure caricature in the case of people like Ned. Uh, well, yeah. a, a lot of these deaths were also kind of surprises. Like in, in other movies, like there's a whole like hunting and chasing scene and a lot of suspense. A lot of the, like the deaths that happen here, which I think they were like 10 or 11, uh, because like they know the character, it's just kind of really sudden. Like they see the person and it's like saying hi to them and then they're just stabbed and that's like the, the end of them versus like a prolonged chase scene or like a suspenseful, uh, you know, attack scene. There are like several chase scenes that's in there. I thought uh, Annie, as get... we were talking about. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I, I thought they were all like just Annie. immediately stabbed. No, 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 no. Uh, Kevin Bacon gets it surprised. Um, Brenda uh, gets chased out onto the archery range. Uh, let's see, um, Ned. We don't know what happens to him, but he. We see him kind of like follow a weird voice into a cabin. And then we see him with his throat slit on top of the bed. Yeah. Um, obviously, the whole, I, I think I already said Annie. Um, but uh, Bill, uh, we don't see how he dies, but yeah. he goes out to fix a generator, so that's kind of stalking. If anything, this movie is more built around the your the perspective of the killer because it's the first movie to really take advantage of like a steady cam, handy cam as the killer's perspective, and we see lots of shots. Um, of, you know, like, especially in that scene with Annie, we see shots of the killers from their perspective, and we know it's from their perspective. We see the feet, we see it slash her throat, um, mm-hmm. and that's where they develop the, the whole, like, verbal tick and the sound cue to let you know, okay, right now, it's not just an establishing shot, we're seeing the eyes of the killer. This is yeah. what they're seeing. That, that was, like, a very 80s thing. I think, like, Child's Play might have done that, and did Halloween or uh, Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Street do that, too? Nightmare what, the music or the view? Uh, not, not, sorry, the, the view, like the killer view, like where you're seeing what they're seeing. Yeah, Halloween starts like that. Oh, yeah, right. Where the, yeah, he's watching from outside the house. Is that right? Oh, it's the kid, they, right? When he's a kid. Yeah. They did do that a lot, and not as much in Halloween, but they definitely did the first person from the killer's point of view. Yeah, that's not something you see too much these days. No, and I think there was a bit of an uproar at the time because people thought seeing it from the killer's point of view would encourage that kind of behavior. Oh, from the audience? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sure, just destroying the youth one scary movie at a time. (laughs) So I think, like, Halloween, the other characters you don't really care about, but there's Laurie Strode, and to me, she grounds it. And the whole thing is like, okay, he's killing off these other people and he's eventually going to get to her. And she's the focus of the whole movie, even when the camera is not really on her. You get the vibe that it's things happening around her. And I think that maybe the suspense wasn't there in Friday the 13th for me because I don't think that there is that person. Like, Alice ends up being the final girl, but I don't think it's super clear from the start that it's going to be her. Nah, it I mean, isn't. it's argu- it's arguably a movie without a protagonist, but the, arguably right. the series is the protagonist is Jason. But right. um, I agree. With, when you look at the series as a whole, um, there were at least plans to kind of have an overarching theme or or a central protagonist that would go from film to film. The only one that successfully did it was Tommy Jarvis, which was originally played. 
by, as I said before, um, Corey Feldman. Um, and then it was played by some guy who looked nothing like Corey Feldman in the next movie. Uh, but with Alice, um, Adrian King was actually approached to be in the second film uh, for a larger role than she ended up being in it. But according to some documentary that I watched, I think it was produced by AMC, um, she, her agent wanted too much money. And so they couldn't afford to keep her on because all of these movies were made for like dirt budget. Um, and so she kind of got the axe for it. Um, same with Ginny, the woman who became the protagonist of the second movie. Um, she was supposed to come back, but then there was some sort of scheduling conflict. Same with Corey Feldman, but they decided to just recast it because Corey Feldman was only like 11 at the time anyway. So like, yeah, whatever, we'll just get an- another actor in there and just age them up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that that's definitely... I don't know that I think that that's all the way a fair comparison, but I kind of don't entirely disagree. I guess when it comes down to I enjoy the ensemble aspect of the original movie. Yeah, that that part was rough on me. Like I couldn't tell these characters apart at all. Like I I, I don't know who is who. Even like when we're saying the names now, I mean there was Kevin Bacon and he just looks familiar, but everyone else kind of looked the same to me. Uh, I I, I couldn't remember like who had died, who was alive, or what their names were, and they're just you know the same white people. Yeah, but you had notoriously uh, think all white people look alike. That's and true, and they're all named Jim have too. A terrible memory. Yeah, they're all named Kevin Bacon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know that specifically in this one too. Who's carried that trend? Well, there's definitely one guy that looks a lot like Kevin Bacon in this one. Yeah, <laughs> there is. I it was interesting to see Kevin Bacon young because I, I forgot he was a young actor at one point. I, I just assumed he was, I was like an older guy. <laughs> He's always been like thirty-eight to forty. Yeah, yeah. You've made like that comment Hughes. about other things we've watched. Josh, right. and I think you believe that people congeal at a certain age. I think so. That's the age I, you know, I've, I've seen them at, and it's weird to see them acting at such a young age. Do you get this thing? Because I get this a lot when you watch a movie where you know that at the time, even if you're older than them now, that they were older than you then, they still look old to you. Like Kevin Bacon in that movie is like nineteen, twenty. Uh, but he still, in my opinion, and like in my mental image, looks older than me, even though I'm certainly older than that at this point by a couple of, like, by more than a decade. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's just me, but I, I have that mental block. I would think if you grew up watching it and he was like, always like that older figure, then I, I, I feel like that'd be hard to change later on. I hear where you're coming from. I, I do have that too. And I've also now had the realization like, oh my gosh, like this character's younger than I was or like Jack Nicholson was probably my age in The Shining both the character and the actor it's oh weird. yeah yeah. when I watch uh, episodes of Seinfeld they still look like my parents uh, yeah. and I'm like I'm yeah. older than all of them <laughs> yeah. well except for Kramer at this point yeah that one always trips me up um, I think I don't know if you mentioned this Jason but a fun fact for me when I mean I knew this a while ago but the fact that Jason doesn't don the hockey mask until the third movie mm-hmm. is pretty surprising yeah. I mean yeah I think that you guys are coming the, the, your your issues with this seem more like uh, a byproduct of this being a series that's nearly 40 years old at this point um, like the the hockey mask thing came in part three in part two he literally wears like a burlap sack with a single eye cut out and right. wears like Farmer John overalls um, and looks, it looks pretty silly, but you don't see a lot of it. And I guess that's sort of the point. Um, but then like the third one, 
they introduce the mask in a silly way when this the the, the obnoxious kid of that brings it along to try and scare people, um, and then it just yeah it, it becomes so iconic and to the point where in uh, the movie where they replaced what's his name uh, I keep forgetting Corey Feldman's name why he's he's the second biggest star in this series. Um, Tommy? When they replaced, yeah, when he was Tommy Jarvis, but when uh, that second actor who played him came in, um, and he would have hallucinations, seeing Jason pop up everywhere. They made this kind of clever trick where um, Jason's hockey mask, the the markings on it are red, but when it's Dream Jason, the markings are in blue, and it's a real subtle thing. And I don't think I noticed it for the first like fifty times that I saw that movie. But now it's one of those things like when someone points it out, it's all you see. Um, and it's kind of a cool little thing about that movie. Um, there's tons of fun little trivia bits in these movies, actually. Like in the first movie, uh, since that's what we're talking about, um, my favorite throwaway... There's two of my favorite throwaway characters in any movie of all time. There's Crazy Ralph, who I love. Oh, yeah. Um, the Doomsayer. Um, and then... There's the cop that comes in at the beginning of the movie to tell them to, like, you know, that Crazy Ralph got drunk and he came all the way up here, blah, blah, blah. Um, but that guy spends, like, a solid, like, three minutes listing, like, hip slang from the 70s for weed. And he's like, oh, you just yeah. get off a spaceship, buddy? <laughs> Olympian gold, man, the grass, <laughs> dig it? And it's like, oh, my God, what the hell is this guy talking about? Yeah, that's uh, what I did. And... And then he, uh, when he drives off on his motorcycle, he like nearly falls the fuck off the, the damn thing. Oh yeah, and I found out much later that he, he that was literally that actor's first time on a motorcycle. And that's why he, he totally ate shit. Like they they shot a take where he did actually eat shit, and like they had to rush over and check out. He's like, oh, let's uh, let's try that slower next time. <laughs> yeah, that was a rough turnaround. <laughs> Officer Dorf, man, you know, yeah. he's a uh, he's he's. Fantastic, but yeah, Crazy Ralph. Yeah. Let's go to death, curse. That guy is amazing. <laughs> yeah, Crazy Ralph is good. Um, Brian, had you seen this before? I had. This was not that many times though. This was probably like the third time I had seen it, and I've seen probably up to the third or fourth one. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I don't. And then I did not continue. Yeah, I think the only one I've seen in this franchise before this was uh, Freddy vs. Jason, which. I think, I think was, I actually liked it a little better than this one, but it's... Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I think Jason would agree that that was, like, one of the best ones in the series, not having even, to, you know, watch the other ones, you can just kind of tell. I, I think it's hard to have seen so many slasher movies and then go back and see this one. Yeah. And not see this one as one of the first slashers that you see. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose that's fair. It's sort of like, um, I've... I've had jobs where I've worked with people much younger than me, and then we'll talk, like especially around Halloween, about scary movies because uh, it might come as a little surprise to know that I'm uh, I'm also a huge horror movie fan. Um, but while we're talking, like some of these kids will drop the most like lame fucking scary movies and say like, "Oh man, Insidious like scared me for life. Like I I couldn't sleep for days. Like fucking Insidious, that piece of shit, or like Sinister, or uh, like any of those movies." that were the same basic, like, jump-scare nonsense. Like, I don't get the appeal. Like, they're funny to me. Like, uh, The Conjuring is another one that I laugh at. Um, but 
kids nowadays like, oh, that's the scariest movie that I've ever seen. Um, and I guess it's sort of like people of my parents' generation being mad that I liked Metallica but not really Led Zeppelin. Like, I got introduced to one before the other. Like, sorry, that's just kind of how it worked. Uh, that's a bad example, though, because I like Led Zeppelin, but, you know, <laughs> my point stands. Yeah, this is also the guy that didn't like Hereditary. Oh, God, that movie is ass. Have me <laughs> on when you watch that one. I'll I'll launch into my diatribe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we already did that one, right? I, I mentioned you a few times, so don't worry. Oh, that's a, Hereditary is very polarizing. Yeah. But I I keep hearing that, but as Ashvin said to me earlier today, and I agreed because I feel the same way, I'm the only person that I know that disliked that movie, and I don't understand why. Yeah, I don't either. And and speaking of polarizing movies, like, this one was also pretty polarizing. Like, critics slammed this one. Yeah, for sure. Critics hated this when it came out. I mean, I think critics have hated, maybe not Halloween, but they definitely hated the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, too. I think slashers in general, critics did not like when they first started popping up in the 80s and then kind of retroactively realized that like something big was happening and that this was a new genre of horror movies. Yeah. And that these ones were like the first and like the ones that made history. And Horror movies in general kind of get like a hard case with a lot of critics. I feel like maybe not until recently. Um, but I don't think that there's been a serious horror movie. I mean, The Shining, maybe. But like, besides that, until um, the Silence of the Lambs, there really got actual appreciation from critics. That people were actually like, "Oh wow, yeah, you know, there's more to this than just stabbing and tits." Um, which, you know, to be fair, is basically the bread and butter of the Friday the Thirteenth series. It's just stabbing and tits. Um, Mm-hmm. But, you know, it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with stabbing and or tits. Yeah, together it's interesting. Um, are, yeah. Are, are there slasher movies like that? There was this time in like the late 70s, early 80s where you had these slasher films. Have you guys seen any slashers like in the past decade, like new ones that you think have done a good job? I thought Hush was kind of fun. Yeah, I liked Hush. Yeah. That was a good movie. I don't know if I would call that... Like, I guess... It kind of depends on what you, like, purists would define as a slasher, because Hush has a very low body count. Um, but that doesn't make it a bad movie at all. I thought that was, a, I thought it was a really good movie. Um, and its use of its central gimmick of, of the deaf girl was, was brilliant. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, beyond yeah, that... it's almost more of a home invasion movie, I guess. Yeah, like a Home Alone category. Yeah. yeah. Yes, like Home Alone, yeah. Well, what uh, about... Except with, you know, murder. Yeah. <laughs> what about uh, your next? Did you... Did, wasn't that kind of a slasher film? Yeah, I guess you could put that on there. I, I did really like Your Next. I think that Your Next, um, much like Halloween, much like Friday the 13th, also benefits from having a fairly strong female protagonist. Yeah. Um, at the center of it, she like the, the girl from Your Next uh, would blow all of them out of the way. I think you put her against pretty much any female action star, uh that doesn't have superpowers and she'd probably come out on top. That girl was amazing. That was, that's a fantastic movie actually. I really should rewatch your next. Yeah, that would be a good rewatch. I love that one. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a modern day slasher. Any, any other ones? But like before that, I guess you got to go back to like scream. 
Yeah. Like I know we were talking about it earlier, but that was that was a that was a true slasher movie. That was one that had high body count, lots of gore, um, pop culture savvy, plenty of tits. Yeah. Uh, it's it's just that level of camp. I think that and that's part of like there's literal camp in Friday the Thirteenth, but like a certain level of campiness is required, yeah. in my opinion, to make a good slasher movie. And movies like Your Next managed to have a lot of jokes in it that were pretty funny, um, and uh, Hush wasn't a very funny movie. Like there were some jokes at the beginning when she was like talking with her sister, um, mm-hmm. but. Uh, that I guess that's why I hesitate to throw that in the same genre. Yeah, sure. It doesn't have that level of B movieness, B moviness in it, or campiness. I think that was maybe my a little bit of my problem with Friday the Thirteenth is that I don't think it had a ton of campiness to it. Maybe it did some accidental, and then, but like Halloween didn't have camp, but it had a lot more menace to me than this movie, and I don't know why. I mean. Friday the 13th was definitely gorier, but it just, yeah, I can't get over that feeling that the kills just kind of came quickly without this toying with the audience or this. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, too, because in Friday the 13th, you never, you see the killer at the end, but Halloween has no real mystery. You just have Michael Myers, who you see, like, in plain view often, but he's still super menacing, which well, see, is interesting think, to me, but I think that that's ahead. kind of... I think that's kind of what informed the later depictions of Jason as like the somnambulant, silent murder machine. There's no stopping him. You can hit him with a truck and he's just going to get back up and murder you. Because that's basically what Michael Myers was. Michael Myers, though just a dude in a mask, driven by hate, uh, was never really depicted as such. He was bordering on superhuman well before Jason was. Like, right. he catches, like, a, what is it, a hanger in his eye and just fucking sits up like The Undertaker and gets right back into chasing people. Like, mm-hmm. no damage, doesn't, like, let anything stop him. It's, it that part I always felt like was a little, it takes me out of it. If it's a movie that's supposed to be serious, and I feel like the first one was, maybe the second one was too, since it's just a continuation of the first movie. It's basically like a double episode. Um... I feel like that kind of takes away some of the mystique. I hear what you're saying about the menace because Ms. Voorhees doesn't feel like a very menacing, omnipresent figure. She's all around, but that's sort of a thing is that she's random. She can just hap- she happens to be where you're going. It's not until Jason becomes a zombie really that he's behind every corner and wherever you want to be and, st- and completely in line of sight. Not until, like, Kane Hodder is playing him is he a guy that you see all the damn time. Yeah, but but Jason is, like, if he's in the second one and third one or whatever, he's he's a ghost, right? I mean, he's, he's supernatural, right? No, arguably... That's the thing, like, you can't go into the Friday the 13th series looking for sense, because uh, there's none to be found. First of all, if he is alive, if he's an actual dude, which he appears to be again in 234, um, then the timeline makes no sense. What the fuck was he doing all those years? Because the oh mom is convinced he's dead. She's, yeah. she, like, so was he just like a feral boy living on the fucking lake? But then he also builds a house and like finds like clothing and stuff um, and drives a truck 
in, in the second one, sort of. I guess it's implied. Um, you know, there's yeah. a lot that doesn't make a ton of sense there. Um, similarly, the timeline that they, they jump around a lot in the movies, and that's the kind of thing that doesn't really work either, is, uh, like, Jason died ostensibly in, like, 58, 59, somewhere around there. Yeah, in um, And then comes back, uh, I think it's, like, two months at the first scene of Friday the 13th Part 2 is two months after the end of Friday the 13th Part 1. And he, spoiler alert, kills Alice and then fucks off for, like, a year or two. But that's all it takes for people to try and open the camp again. Mm-hmm. And so goes on that murder spree. Three, I think, happens the next weekend. Like, it's it's that quick of a turnaround. And then suddenly, um, when four happens, I think that's, like, a year or two afterwards, then they jump, like, ten years in the future because that's when we go from Tommy Jarvis being like a nine-year-old kid to suddenly being like a troubled teen in a halfway house with a bunch of people who are, you know, murdering people for candy bars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does make a lot of sense. And to add some context to these sequels, these were like every single year in the 80s almost. I think 1983 and 1987 were the only years without Jason movies. Wow. Yeah, and they went into the 90s too because uh, Final Friday... Uh, or or Jason Goes to Hell was like 92 or 93, somewhere around there? 93. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, then there was the gap until Jason X in 2001. But yeah, there's 12 of them, and I couldn't find any other horror movie with more movies. Mm. Even, uh... No, he's got... Oh, uh, the... Even a leprechaun. Oh, I'm sorry, Godzilla. Godzilla. Well, Godzilla, but that's arguably sci-fi, not horror. Yeah, and he's got like a 30-year head start. Uh, I was, I was going to say Child's Play. And, and but... at least two remakes. What, you, wait, what were you going to say? Oh, Child's Play? They didn't have uh, 10 or 11? No, so. man. They got like four. They got like three in the regular series, and then they got The Bride of Chucky, and then they got The Seed of Chucky. Uh, okay. What about Saw? That's like five movies at most. What are we at with Saw? Saw? Yeah. Oh, I don't even know. I lost count on that. Saw on like They've got to be like eight, eight or nine. Yeah. Uh, somewhere around okay. there. All right. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is at seven, I think, is what, what I counted it at. Um, if you count Freddy vs. Jason. Then uh, Halloween, they with the remakes, they're at about eight or nine. Um, let's see other long. I think series. Elm Street's at Nightmare on Elm Street's at nine if you count like the the reboots and stuff. Who would who would win in an arm fight between Jason Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger? Oh, Jason! An arm fight or an arm wrestle? Uh, yeah, I don't know what an arm fight's supposed to be. <laughs> 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 just flap their arms. Up. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm talking <laughs> about. <laughs> <laughs> They're playing Red Rover. Who's going to get through? Yeah. I just think Jason might be the weakest one in this group. Are you kidding me? Michael Myers is 100% the weakest one in what every What are you talking context. about? He's been shot. He's fallen out of a window. Um, Jason has literally been blown to pieces and uh, come back from it. That's good. And that doesn't reflect arm strength. Jason, uh, in your favorite movie in the world, uh, Freddy vs. Jason... Hits Kelly Rowland of Destiny's Child so hard that she goes flying sixty feet into a fucking tree from like a, like a casual side punch that he doesn't like run up for or anything like Nicolas Cage in The Wicker Man. Yeah, he's got he's got the arm strength. If it's in a dream, arguably Freddy, because that's got to do with more about where the whose dream it is, what they believe, and how afraid they are of Freddy. If there's a lot of fear, Freddy could potentially do it. It's sort of like 
trying to to match like Superman versus the Hulk, where like Superman might have a defined limit, whereas the Hulk, the angrier he gets, the stronger he gets. Mm-hmm. So, Jason would be the Hulk. The more no, Jason would be Superman. This oh. He's got a pretty defined, overpowered strength. Uh, again, Michael Myers essentially just a dude. Like he does some pretty impressive physical feats, but just a dude. Jason, when he's a zombie, is an unstoppable murder machine, running through walls, throwing pop stars for you know several yards, uh, ripping people's heads clean off. Um, Michael Myers never shows that kind of physical strength. And again, Freddy's power is magic, so who knows? <laughs> so arm fight winner, Jason. All right. Yeah. Best arms. Yeah. Arm length winner, <laughs> Freddy. Oh, well, yeah. Like, that whole scene in the first movie where his arms are stretching across the entire street. <laughs> um, so I feel like part of the reason this movie is so popular, maybe this is a stretch, but, okay, so it was originally going to be called Long Night at Camp Blood, and they changed the name. I think naming it Friday the 13th gives horror nerds a great excuse to watch these movies over and over again. Yeah, that's I'm pretty sure. good branding. It's appointment viewing. Yep. I mean, it's kind of a genius idea. Yeah. Yeah, and, the, the, and that uh, documentary I mentioned earlier, they definitely talk about that a bit, where they realize, oh, well, if we do this, it'll be an easier-to-sell movie, because theaters will be like, oh, if we can run this on Friday the 13th, we'll get a lot more people. Um, that's my impression of just general people, uh, yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> that sounds just like so many people I know. Oh, that's everybody, right? Oh, hi guys, what are you doing over there? Just waiting at Starbucks? Um, this yeah. guy Jason I know, uh, but, I know, right? What a dick. Um, but, it, it's something that hasn't worked for lesser movies. Like, My Bloody Valentine isn't something people watch every Valentine's Day. Black Christmas isn't something people watch every Christmas. Um, it, it's unique that this happens uh, to be specific to a date. And, yeah, it's a brilliant gimmick, but it really kind of only worked the once. Halloween, people might watch around Halloween, but they'll watch it... It's it's a big enough movie that they'll watch it when it's not Halloween, too, you know? Right, uh, and Halloween, you th- just watch scary movies in general. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, what so is it's like if we're if we're looking at the new metal rankings, Halloween is like corn, and like uh, Friday the Thirteenth is like Deftones. It's like they're the same basically, but one's more popular than the other. Yeah. Whereas some people prefer the other. It's all it's all related to thousands butt rock. It's a, it's a theory that I've got working. I'm gonna write a paper about it soon. I'd like to read a book on that. Oh yeah. Uh, in the movie, though, do they ever mention the date Friday the 13th? I, I know they mentioned his birth date once, like today's his birthday, but I don't remember like hearing Friday the 13th brought up. They, yeah, they the they cop should. goes on a rant about how more crimes happen on Friday the 13th. Oh. And also, in the beginning, I believe, when uh, they show the scene from the 50s, it's on Friday the 13th, and they actually label it in like the, the text at the bottom. Oh, no kidding. Okay, I missed that. Yeah, true. And then all the other movies also take place on that date? No, as I told you before we were recording, oh, uh, Saturday. there are arguably at least a few that take place on Saturday the 14th. Alright, so I, I think that's a big knock against uh, Jason winning these arm wrestling things, if he can only like be around on one day pretty much, or two at the most. Oh, he's, he goes all night, baby. That Jason's got stamina. Yeah, but where's he on the 15th, man? <laughs> 
He's really nice every other day of the year. Yeah, you know, just get don't get on his bad side. Yeah. Where's he? He's, he's fucking, you know, hitting the gym, working on his arm strength <laughs> so that he's ready for the arm fights. Doing Habitat for Humanity, that's how he learned how to build that house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, that makes sense. Uh, well, what do you guys think? Should we move on to the plot as thin as it may be? <laughs> we probably should. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like we've kind of talked about it for the most part, but sure. Yeah. Uh, also, Jason, I don't know if we told you this, but I lamely try to connect every movie we see to Northeast Ohio. I am and interested to see how this movie set in rural New Jersey is going to attach, but okay. So yeah, this one's actually pretty pathetic. I was like racking my brain over it, and my wife was like, "Oh, you should just do the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon thing." And she didn't even know that Kevin Bacon was in this movie. So that was my excuse to actually just do that. And That's very loose. So he... Yeah, it's super loose. His first movie was Animal House. And he was in that with an actress named Martha Smith, who is from Cleveland. And that's the best I have. But I have an additional fun fact. There is a dude at the University of Virginia that created a computer program called Oracle of Bacon to essentially determine like how close an actor is to being the center of the Hollywood universe, like AKA who would be the best to play this Kevin Bacon game with. Mm-hmm. And it, it's always changing because new movies come out. And at one point it was Donald Sutherland, who's also in Animal House with Kevin Bacon. And Halloween. Oh no, that's Donald Pleasance, not Donald Sutherland. <laughs> Mm, yeah, I, I, although I, I Donald Sutherland was in quite a few horror movies, too. Sure, fantastic. He was in Invasion of the Body Snatchers remake yeah. and mm-hmm. Don't Look Now. Yeah. He's, yeah he's a, he, like Pleasance, I think, coasts a lot on how menacing he looks and yeah. how unique his voice is. And I think he's probably easy to connect to a lot of people because he's in really old movies and then he was in the Hunger Games movies, so... He's connected to Jennifer Lawrence, so you can go through her. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, fun fact, uh, when it comes to the six degrees of Kevin Bacon game, I am two degrees from Kevin Bacon, because my old Whoa. college roommate, Mark, was childhood friends with actor Joe Mazzello, you may know, from The Pacific on HBO, or Jurassic Park, or The River Wild, starring Kevin Bacon. Mm. Wow. Oh man, the River Wild! I saw that movie with my parents when I was like ten. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah, remember it fun. very well. Like, wasn't the mom the woman from Mad About You? Was that who it was? That was I like, don't think it was, but I think it looked a lot like her. Sure. Yeah, blonde women—they all look alike. Yeah, tell me about it. I shouldn't say that my mom's blonde, but still. You know. <laughs> and they all sound like that voice Jason did earlier. <laughs> they all talk like this. <laughs> Uh, Brian, one other connection that that I found um, in the movie, oh, Je- yeah, the movie Jason Goes to Hell. I guess he's uh, blown up or something uh, with a bomb. Is that right, Jason? Yep. Well, it's That's... it's like grenade rounds, but sure, close All right. And then they send him to a morgue, and it's the Youngstown Federal Morgue, which I'm assuming is the Youngstown in Ohio, but could be wrong. Whoa. Bravo, man. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. I, I haven't seen that movie either. It's probably not the one in yeah, Ohio. Yeah, it's probably the one out of the Youngstown. I mean, <laughs> they probably filmed it in California. Yeah. Uh, but it, I mean, 
most of these movies were filmed there, um, except for the original, which was filmed uh, on location in New Jersey. Uh, I forget what the name of the camp is now, but I guess they sometimes do a special Friday the 13th, like, tour that people can come by, but they're kind of, they changed the name and all of the branding because they don't want all of that attention, like, yeah. around the, the camp where they're actually making money, you know, having, you know, having kids canoe and, like, you know, fire arrows and archery yeah. and stuff. Yeah, that can't be good for image. Yeah. Um, hey, all the murders were fake. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but the plot. Yeah. Um, we also take a really lame fake break before the plot, so uh, I actually feel... I think I hear it raining outside. I'm going to go check. I think I left my car windows down, so I'll be right back, dudes. Okay, uh, we are back, and I brought up the raining outside because as I go through the plot, I want to call out, to me right away, the most unrealistic scene. This dude and two women are playing a game of poker, and suddenly it starts pouring, and one of the women has to go check her cabin because uh, the windows are it's raining and the windows are open in the cabin. Yeah. I have to stop. And the dude quick, does not though. protest at all that this strip poker game has just or strip monopoly. I'm sorry. There you go. I was like, this... oh, it is not poker. It's monopoly. But yes, yeah, <laughs> okay. I don't know how strip monopoly works, but still. I know. I just found it. He was just like, oh, okay, yeah. I feel like he would have been trying to do everything he possibly could have to keep the game going. <laughs> He just lets it go. Until next time. <laughs> it struck yeah. me. I mean, if we're if we're talking legitimate gripes, like for, I, I, yeah, I feel like there's no way a horny teenager sees. Uh, I, I guess she's supposed to be slightly older. That's the character Brenda. Um, but she's still like got to be like nineteen twenty uh, in her like underwear. She puts on like they're like April O'Neil colors like they're like yellow with some purple on them mm-hmm. so <laughs> nice. I, I've got a pretty stark memory of this movie I've, <laughs> as I said I've seen it a billion times but um, she runs off in like this skimpy like Ellen Ripley's cut style like bikini brief underwear um, and then proceeds to put on the most modest old lady nightgown <laughs> that I've ever seen she's dressed like she's going for her first communion suddenly. Yeah. Like, where, what's the, like, I get that, you know, you probably sleep in, you, women don't sleep in their bras, etc. but, like, you, you go from, like, I, I'm I'm still hot, check me out, to, oh, but, you know, I'm also a school mom. Like. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's pretty conservative on there, but I, I, I don't know. It's not very consistent. <laughs> From strip monopoly yeah. to yeah, really conservative dress, glaring area. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so since we're running low on time, I'll just fly through the plot, and it it is pretty thin. I think we can hope maybe all agree on that. Um, but it starts. I feel like this is a bit of a slasher trope. Even it starts years before with an event that kind of frames the time that the movie is taking place in. So in 1958, we see some can camp counselors sneak off to have sex in the top floor of a barn assume 
presumably at a summer camp, and then we see the first person point of view from the killer, and they both get murdered. So then we bounce back to this character, Annie, who's trying to find her way to Crystal Lake, where she's going to be the cook for the summer at this camp for kids. And I feel we get another horror trope here, where she walks into a cafe or a restaurant in town and asks about Camp Crystal Lake, and everybody drops what they're doing and turns to look at her. Yeah. It's yeah, like but one I feel of those like record screech moments. Like originated in this movie. I don't know. I, I haven't done a ton of research on that, but that whole Harbinger of Doom thing, I feel like, slightly comes from this. Really? You know, Ashwin and I recently, for this podcast, watched Nosferatu from like 1922 or something. Oh, yeah. And that was actually in that movie, too. Oh, yeah. He walks into a bar the night before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if they had records back then, it would have scratched. <laughs> Someone just so, quits fighting really quick. <laughs> what? That's <laughs> Orlock, you said. So then Annie, like, gets a hitchhike to the camp, and she gets two rides, and the second one, we can't see the driver, and it's a first-person view again, and the music picks up, and this person throws her from the car and stalks her in the woods and slits her throat. And then, at that point, and we've described some of the kills already in the first part, it really just becomes all these counselors at the camp trying to reopen it. There's one main dude who's not really a main character but he's the dude spearheading the reopening and one by one we just see them all get killed essentially go ahead jason oh yeah no that's basically the plot uh yeah uh, i mean there's a lot of character building i guess the thing is you, you guys talk about the deaths coming really fast but uh and he dies really well those two kids die at the beginning in the, the the prologue i guess you'd call it then Annie dies. Then there's nothing for a solid, like, 30, 40 minutes of the movie. There's no deaths. Um, really? There's the death of a snake, which really... I don't I don't like that. That's the one part of this movie that kind of still gives me pause, because I hate snakes. I'm yeah, I was afraid a bit snakes, disturbed. Yeah. But they actually murder a snake, and that's really fucked up. Yeah, it's like a real um, snake, the actors, right? Yeah, the actors yeah. have gone on record as saying that they, they felt that, that... In hindsight, that they felt like that was fucked up. Yeah. Um... But, uh, then, like, you know, when the first person to die is Ned, who dies off screen, and you don't even see anything about that. Like, there's, think about all the things that happens. There's a whole bit where they're playing around at the lake. Uh, oh, by the way, check out, if you watch this movie again, Kevin Bacon's awesome dive. He literally, like, falls into the fucking water <laughs> and tries to look slick as he's doing it. Um, <laughs> It's, that it's sounds fantastic. about right for that situation. Yeah. Um, so there's that with, with the fake out where Ned pretends to be dead. Uh, he does it again because he shoots the arrow near Brenda at the archery range and scares her and she threatens to kick his ass. That wasn't um, uh, Kevin Bacon, though, bits... was it? No, it wasn't Kevin Bacon. Oh, that was uh, Ned, the, the nerdy guy, the guy who was wearing the Dan Marino jersey. Oh, that oh they, yeah. I don't think that they could afford to have the... the the actual yeah. logos on it, so yeah. like it, it's it's Dan Marino's number and the color, but like clearly some the letters have been taken off. Yeah. Um, let's see. Then yeah, there's that. There's all of that. There's them talking about where they're going to eat. There's them. Uh, the the whole scene with uh, Mr. Christie uh, like hanging out in town and talking to that that hottie that worked at the bo- at the uh, diner 
that he hopefully was going to have kids with and make an honest woman out of. Um, but then, like, that, after the rain comes in and it's dark and stormy and uh, Kevin Bacon and, um, what's her name, uh, Marcy start having sex, that's when you see Ned dies. Uh, then it's another, like, 15, 20 minutes. There's a whole strip Monopoly game before we get the death of Kevin Bacon. Then Marcy got, gets it pretty shortly after that. Then Brenda happens off camera. Then same thing with... Uh, that's when they lose the power. Bill goes out and is never seen again, except he's like up, like plunged against the wall. That's actually something that I've always found kind of funny about this movie. Um, at the end, we kind of accept that Ms. Voorhees is the killer. She's like, spoiler alert, that's, that's what happens next uh, in the plot. But as we said, the plot's kind of thin. Um, but that like she could get him up there? This 65-year-old woman is running around all night murdering teenagers. Yeah. Like, yeah. what throwing kind of cardio does she windows. fucking have? Right. Like, she, yeah, she's throwing, like, 110-pound girls through windows, like, lifting fucking poor Bill up. Like, the thing is, how... he He's hanging on a door with, like, an arrow through his eyeball, like, into the wall. How the fuck does he get, like, a foot into the air? Does he jump? And then she, like, gets him with the arrow? Does she hold him up and stick the arrow in his face? Maybe How she, the fuck did this old lady do that? Maybe she's got, like, a step stool she carries around with her. And she has, like, people stand sure, on but it. <laughs> <laughs> Does he just, like, chill it out? Like, oh, what are you doing with that? Oh, yeah. oh hey, just, that arrow's really <laughs> close to my face. Oh, shit! Stand right here, sir. <laughs> also in the scene where Kevin Bacon gets it with an arrow from underneath the bed, like, the leverage it would require from underneath uh, yeah. the bed to stab somebody through the bed and then through that person. Yeah. Oh man! If you watch the uh, the documentary where they like show like Tom Savini's notes, like the rig that they did for it, because like Kevin Bacon's like on his knees with his head poking up through the bed, and like they've got like a dummy body or whatever, so they can stick the arrow through it. And like Tom Savini is this the stunt coordinator slash uh, special effects guy. He also did Dawn of the Dead. He's a horror icon. You should talk about it a lot on this podcast. Um, but he, he's got like his hand over Kevin Bacon's head to hold him in place while he, he's also pushing the arrow and his partner in crime, whatever is next to him, supposed to pump the blood, but there was something wrong with like the rig. And so, um, he had to like take the tube off and like blow into it. And that's why there's like a spurt that like, kind of catches up. Kevin. Yeah. No, he like squint, like geysers up, oh. and like Kevin Bacon's face looks shocked, and it's because he wasn't expecting it to hit him <laughs> in the damn face. It's actually a, a great little B side that was like a, a, a happy accident, I guess, for them. Yeah. Okay. Like Walt throwing the pizza onto the roof, like it happened oh, yeah. in one take, and they're like, "Sold, we got it." <laughs> nice. Yeah. So some of those kills are they're a bit creative, and the gore is good for sure. Um, and then, so that seems like the whole second act is just them getting killed one by one, and then the third act is Alice being the final girl, and then we have the reveal as Pamela Voorhees being the killer. And then there's a good solid, like, 10 or 15 minutes of just, probably not that long, but it felt like it, like, fisticuffs between... Alice and Pamela Voorhees. Between a frail girl and a 60-year-old woman. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's which the old was like woman who just really... murdered all those other teenagers. Yeah, I know. It was a really interesting turn for a slasher movie to take. That was like, I kind of liked it a lot, but then it was like, oh, now I'm just watching this fist fight. It's not <laughs> scary at all. Yeah. 
allegedly, because um, Bet- Betsy Palmer, who played Mrs. Voorhees, um, is a stage actress. Uh, that's where like they ended up plucking her from. And that she's, yeah, there's fisticuffs, basically. She roughs up Alice a little bit. And I guess um, in theater, when you're going to slap someone, you slap the shit out of them. You actually slap them to get, like, the real sound so it projects or whatever and it looks real. Um, and that's not how you do it in movies. You do the whole, like, the hand is next to my face, like, professional wrestling slap. Like, so that you, like, basically high-five them next to their face. Um, but she didn't know that, and so she literally slapped the shit out of this poor girl, and she fell to the ground and was like, Sean, she hit me! And, like, uh, <laughs> she <laughs> had to be like, no, no, Betsy, Betsy, you don't actually hit her. We're, yeah. It's a movie. We can add the sound afterward. Don't worry about it. I don't know. Um, I Did you read that, like, Betsy didn't even want to, like, she thought the script was shit and didn't, like, want to do it? Oh, yeah. She she <laughs> shot on the movie for years and years. Yeah. Um, didn't really, she did it for a paycheck. She's yeah. never said anything otherwise. But, like, I think later years in her life, she kind of came around to enjoy the, the mild celebrity that she has yeah. as Ms. Voorhees. Sure. That, that's she's, what, like, probably like, yeah, whatever. That's what I saw in that slapping scene. Like, you could feel that frustration coming at her. Like, I can't believe how shitty this movie is. <laughs> I'm just going to take it out. Oh, this fucking movie. <laughs> yeah. These fucking kids. Dude, that was, like, the best acting I'd seen <laughs> in the whole movie. That was good. <laughs> yeah, she was a good actor. And so then the movie ends this fight and finally Alice decapitates Pamela Voorhees in what I'm sure was like a really shocking and gory scene at the time and still looks decent today and then we get a shot of Alice the next morning asleep in a canoe floating on a lake and the cops are there and it's as she starts to like wake up and see the cops that we get this like is the equivalent of the Carrie scene with the fist punching through the dirt. Like, Jason, this kind of deformed child, pops out of the water and drags her down into the water with him. And then she wakes up in the hotel bed, right? Or in the hotel yeah, bed. The hospital bed, bed. Yeah, yeah. Right. she says, what about the boy? And he's like, boy, yeah. we didn't find any boy. And he's still there. And he's still out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the know, whole thing... We didn't talk about this, but it was Pamela Voorhees two years before we, or maybe the year before we saw that couple getting murdered in 1958, a young boy drown at the camp, and that was her son, and she blamed it on counselors who were having sex and not paying attention, so she's here to murder every counselor. I mean, that's that's motherhood right there. That's, that's a strong maternal instinct. <laughs> yeah. That part of it is kind of intriguing to me. I feel like her and Jason are really the most developed, intriguing characters. Like, I know you said that there was that gap where there was really no killing and it was all character development, but to me, it didn't. I didn't feel like the characters were developed. I, I don't know. Yeah. I still felt like they were thin. Yeah, I, I didn't really understand a lot there of them. There were a lot of them. Yeah, I, I think they went out of the way sometimes to try to develop these characters. Like, uh, there was some conversation in the pickup truck. It was mostly just trying to portray them as, like, these horny teenagers. I, th- I think that was, like, the extent of their personality or their characters. I mean, yeah, that's kind of the point of the genre. Like, you, you're not... There aren't shades of gray that you're slashing up. These are black and white. These yeah. are horny teens that are there to have fun. But you do get bits of, like, backstory. Uh, uh, Marcy tells, like, a long, like, story about a nightmare that she had. That, oh, like, yeah. she's being, like, drowning in blood and all this sort of shit. 
Um, and that like kind of gives you a little element. Kevin Bacon does the classic horny teen boyfriend act of not listening and just kind of going, wow, it sucks. Uh, yeah. Like, and then they go and have sex. Um, like, yeah, the, the Ned is just the obnoxious douchebag that you're not supposed to feel bad that it happens to him, even though he's like more of just like a harmless goof than he is like an asshole. Um, the Christie's, well, it's Peter, Steve Christie rather is just kind of there. Like he's the camp owner because you need to have an adult get killed as well. Um, Lori Bartram, uh, Brenda, she's, again, kind of the den mother. She kind of over... She seems like she's a little bit older than the other kids, and she's probably done this before, so she seems like she's got her shit together a little bit more. Bill is just the general, like, affable good guy. Um, and Kevin Bacon is literally just teenage Kevin Bacon. What more do you <laughs> need from that guy? Yeah. He's there for that great scene where Marcy or Marsha just grabs the top of his naked butt cheek. Oh, yeah. You get to see some bacon bits in that movie. Oh, yeah. And his, his excellent acting to, sh- to portray his orgasm, where he just kind of grabs a pillow and goes, uh, that's it. That's <laughs> that's the, the entire Kevin Bacon sex experience, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. Sure. I don't, I don't know what Kevin Bacon's proclivities lie. Uh, well, on that note, if we've got to rate this movie... Zero to five tops of Kevin Bacon butt cheeks. Mm. What do you guys give it? Uh, uh, Ashwin, why don't you go ahead first since <laughs> we're going to disagree on this. Yeah. Um, t- t- uh, what's, is zero a rating on here or is one the lowest? You <laughs> you can do a zero. All right. I, I, I'll give it a one, man. I mean, it's a scary movie, so I feel like it at least qualifies for the genre. Uh, so it like you know it, it passes the, the marks there, but I don't feel like it brought anything new to the uh, the genre. It's a slasher film, but you know even the director admits it was heavily uh, borrowed from Halloween. Uh, the characters weren't that well developed. Uh, I you know I don't feel like we got enough of the villain. Like I think the villain the, the mother was only on screen for like 10, 15 minutes or so. Um, so yeah, I think it's a standalone work of uh, film. I, I don't think it was anything substantial or added anything new or original. So I'm, I'm going to give it a one. And I, I don't think we have to ask Jason because I think he already agrees with me. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the vibe we get from Jason yeah. is one. All right, Jason, you get with the one. Yeah. No, not even a little <laughs> bit. Uh, I think that that's a myopic way of looking at it. I think that you're looking at it as someone who didn't see it until 40 years after it came out, and all of these tr- things have become common tropes at that point. I think that Steve Miner and Sean Cunningham have said that there were elements that could clearly be seen from other movies, but Halloween was not one of them. Those movies, uh, this movie would have had to have been started like the day that Halloween came out. Like there, there's not a huge gap, a breadth of time between that. And movies, especially then, didn't have as quick a turnaround as they might now. Like sure, it was a, it was a low budget dirtball production, and so they could do it faster than I don't know Ben Hur, but like that there's. Influence, sure, but I don't think that you. it's fair to say that there's nothing new or original coming to it. I think using Tom Savini is a brilliant step that really adds so much to it. Tom Savini, horror icon, my hero among uh, Italian-Americans, uh, of which I guess I kind of am, because I'm, I'm like some fraction Italian, but he's a great stuntman, great special effects guy, great action heroes occasionally, plays Sex Machine in uh, From Dusk Till Dawn. Um... I think that you can't say enough about what it did for Kevin Bacon. Uh, let's be real. Nobody saw Animal House. Whoever heard of that movie? This was clearly <laughs> the star-making vehicle that put him on the map. Um, 
Yeah, I think that it's... You can't go into it expecting it to be... You know, The Witch. It's not a cerebral movie. It's not... Really, in my opinion, it's not a scary movie. It's a fun movie. It's an action horror movie, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, The whole point is of slasher movies is to be popcorn films. They're just there for, for gags and for laughs. And as a fan of largely bad movies, um, Mystery Science Theater stuff, uh, I, I have to rate it really high. I, I, give it, I would give it five out of five, but wow. if I have to look at it for craft, I would probably say it's more closely like a 3.54. But personally, mm-hmm. five out of five. Yeah. Second best one in the series. That's interesting. If like you're taking it out of the horror genre and just think about it as general, because uh, I, I I can understand that where it's like a, a interesting entertaining movie. But um, yeah, I, I guess within the horror thing, I, I like it's a, too strong of an option there. Well, I mean, like, do you feel like Michael Myers is behind your door, ready to murder you after you see it? Like a little bit. Maybe maybe some people get that. I never felt that way with these movies. I never felt that way about it, like slasher movies in general, because a lot of times they were set in settings that didn't feel real. Like Alien is an amazing movie. Aliens is also an amazing movie. Those monsters are fucking terrifying looking. Yeah. But I never felt like the fucking xenomorph was in my air vent, ready to come out and like eat me as I slept. Yeah. Like it, it was a setting that's too surreal. And so I worked at a summer camp, but not like a sleepaway summer camp. Uh, so it felt so removed from me that I didn't feel afraid of it. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's that helped me appreciate it more because I could watch it all the time, but that also led me to appreciate actual horror movies. Um, although, again, uh, Hereditary is, is dog shit. It's an absolute <laughs> garbage film. should be burned. Um, anyway. <laughs> Brian, what do you think? What, where do you rate Friday the 13th? You, you know, I feel like it's just kind of an interesting debate of looking back on something 40 years later and trying to grasp what somebody felt like when they were watching it for the first time. So I have to say that I'm a victim of that. I didn't just see this movie this week, but I didn't see it until I was in my 20s. And so I will give it a 2 out of 5. And I hear what you're saying, Jason, too, but I also just feel like it's not that much of a popcorn movie for me. Like, I don't find it that entertaining. <laughs> and it's like I do totally appreciate the Tom Savini-ness of it. I appreciate that it set up a lot of the character tropes and format for future slashers. And I also I feel like I just need to admit to myself that slasher isn't one of my favorite genres, so I think I'm a bit biased there. Um so there's definitely things I appreciated about it, but I feel like I have to give it a two. And I kind of feel like the proverbial 11-year-old that I've referred to would have a tough time going back to it after they've seen some other horror movies and giving it and loving it. I think that's a unique experience of someone in our age group or older. Yeah. I mean, these... But that's the way it is with so many movies. These days you got Freddy versus Jason. I mean, how are you going to top that? How are you going to top it? I mean, there's not even any iPhones in this movie. (laughs) Yeah. Damn kids with their damn cell phones and their I know. Who's gonna Twitters this? and what have you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, anything else, you two, before we wrap this up? I'm sure we could keep going for another hour, but <laughs> oh, I mean, any last words? We haven't gone through all of my feelings on this movie. Uh, no, I think that 
it's it's a great movie. I think that it's the kind of movie that you should watch in a group of drunk rowdy people. Um, For sure. And mm-hmm. it's a yeah, it's a fun film. It it's not a cerebral horror movie. It doesn't stack up to The Exorcist or something. Um, but I think that if you're look if you're fine watching uh you know some 80s boobs and 80s you know murder and you could do worse than friday the 13th on the boobs easily worse on the boobs thing i think there was only one boob though there is one boob and it was an accident evidently yeah but you get to see kevin bacon's ass all right you see his bacon bits sure (laughs) there's only like three movies where you get to see more of kevin bacon If you want to do that one, we'll do the Hollow Man. Uh, I'll be on for that show. We can talk about Kevin Bacon's uh, CGI dick. That's that's our next episode. Is Kevin Bacon body parts? Yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's all for this episode, folks. Uh, we hope you enjoyed today's discussion about Friday the Thirteenth, and incidentally, a good chunk of the sequels. If you want to join the discussion, we encourage you to follow Horror Movie Club podcast on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Horror Movie Pod on Twitter. And you can shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. Check out the website, horrormovieclub.com. And be sure to check Facebook or Twitter for next week's movie in case you want to watch it beforehand. Uh, our logo is done by Amy May Popart, so check her out on etsy.com. And Jason, do you want to give some plugs for your AIPT stuff? Sure. Uh, check out the website adventuresinpoortaste.com or aiptcomics.com for all of your nerdery news. Uh, be it comics, movies, video games, what have you. Uh, there's a growing wrestling site on there as well. Um, yeah, check out the podcast, Adventures in Pod Taste. We are on iTunes. Uh, we're also on the website if you want to listen to us via SoundCloud. Um, and uh, check out Friday the 13th. It's a really good movie. Don't listen to these jerks. It's an amazing <laughs> film. You're going to love it. Uh, and it doesn't matter that it was made 40 years ago. <laughs> cool thanks for coming on jason we appreciated having you and i think it was really good for us to get somebody who loved the movie so much since we were a little underwhelmed i think we needed to do it that justice yeah Yeah. uh and it's it's good to be uh, on something that i get to show something that i'm actually pro because i think ashwin can attest i typically have the opposite opinion on a lot of things (laughs) and it's kind of given me a negative reputation for not liking things yeah okay well, you look like the optimist in this one. Yeah, what, the, what is that supposed to mean? I'm sure. <laughs> I got you, man. <laughs> okay, folks. Well, uh, until next time, the next time you're grabbing the top of Kevin Bacon's butt cheek, uh, savor it, because maybe the last time.